This is the Minivan Dad Soccer Pod. Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! The only podcast where the host actually admits to driving a minivan. Sometimes it may be good, sometimes it may be sh- And now your host, TJ. And we're back. It's the Minivan Dad Soccer Pod, Chicago Fire Post game. Went on a little hiatus this past weekend. I apologize for that. Um, my co-host and my partner in crime, Pat, who's back with me tonight. How are you doing, Pat? I'm excellent, TJ. Which as is good excellent because... as I can be after a 2-1 fire loss. Sure. And coming off of the weekend, Pat was a little bit under the weather. I was... I was just having a rough... A kind of a tired night, and my, my other partner in crime, Brian, wasn't available. So just decided not to do it and i apologize for that but at the same time hey it's a free podcast it happens so the fire on the short end of a 2-1 defeat at subaru park i think it's called outside subaru of park, Philadelphia. Yeah. subaru yeah. park outside of philadelphia in against chester. The, in chester against the league leading the east leading union you, you said it when we were getting ready and it was the same thought i had it's rare that in a loss where you're like i'm proud of the way they played and by and large, yeah. that was the case tonight. This was a weird game. Even after the red card, which we'll get into in more detail, I never felt like they were out. It's not like you felt like, okay, they're going to get overrun. Once they survived the initial few minutes, you're like, and Barrett got the goal to get them level. You're like, this is game on. This this game is going yeah, to be tight. It's, it's, you're talking about a team with 21 points playing against a team that had, at the time, 41 points, now 44. You're talking about a team sitting outside the playoff picture against the best team in MLS. And they go down a man after the Calvo red card, which we'll talk about later. Barrich answers. And I just felt like they could, they could have won the game. They could have, uh, you know, I, they gave up the weak goal on the, on the far post um, in the second half, but which we'll go into detail on as well. <laughs> yeah, which you know that that was a, a bad moment, but um, they were at nine men just before that because of the fiasco getting Alvaro Madron back on the field with the jersey issue. So um, it, it, that was weird. But like even at the end, even in stoppage time, I'm like, wow, they could get an equalizer, and they looked like they could, and they almost did. They it's they they it's, played they played like they thought they were going to get an equalizer. Yeah. You, you had a team down 2-1 on the road to the best team in MLS, and they didn't give up ever at any point. You know, it, it's they they deserved a better result than that. They, they deserved better than a 2-1 loss. They, the, the fire played well tonight, and it's it's like I, I'm proud of them even though they lost. It, it's, it's a weird feeling to, like, I, I've, they escaped with some wins this year that, that, made me go eh you know that wasn't like dc united comes to mind but it's this is kind of the opposite of that like this is i'm i don't have a ton of hope that they're going to make the playoffs other than the fact that um that inner miami lost tonight to fc dallas they, they're still right there. And, the, and I talked to Gaston Jimenez tonight after the game, and he, he said the math is still in our favor, which is true. They have they a have game in hand. Correct. So you got to start by getting – you got to get at least one against Dax this weekend in Nashville. And mm-hmm. it's likely going to be without Calvo um, unless that thing gets – walked back but i it's, we'll, we'll we'll go over the, we'll go over that at the end we'll get back to that at the end let's nashville nashville's playing out of their mind i guess the one good thing is they've already qualified now for the playoffs correct. so we'll um, we'll come back let's come back to the playoffs and looking at that down the road because i have Miami's schedule up as well um we'll come we'll, we'll come back to that united don't forget what's that so now we have to factor in dc united true fair well, fair i will and we'll, probably montreal if yeah, watch through, so which which is part of the fun which is i guess one of the fun things about this 10 team playoff it's almost it's harder to miss it than it is to make it at some point but 
at the same time, it, it leaves a lot of teams with interesting possibilities. So it, it, to me, you get hot at the right time and you got a chance, which DC United looked putrid and now they're tied on 21 points. Um, I mean, the only team that's really played, Cincinnati really never got anywhere after they had a couple of lucky results and MLS is drunk. And then the LA Galaxy are absolute crap right now as well. Um, I that's don't know what they're... Crazy. It, it, I, I hate to agree. You're 100% right. It, it is a good thing to see. Um, you know, they, I, I don't like Chicharito. Uh, nope. I don't really like Jonathan Klinsman. I, I, I feel weird holding a grudge against something somebody said as a teenager, but um, I still don't like that he made fun of Landon after his dad dropped him. Yeah. Um, and I don't generally like seeing the Galaxy, you know, dominate and it's 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 just nice to see that they're they're terrible and chicharito's bad so yeah and now that we've we've pulled off track let's let's bring it back right back full circle so two to one loss tonight yeah the, the refereeing geo geo gonzalez is that it was we don't. man yeah he was not good tonight he really wasn't, and and you've no, anybody who's listened to this pod long enough usually knows I'm one that will defend a referee. This was not a good night for him, um, but I will say he was bad equally. The, well, and and let's let's talk let's walk through it there. I mean, because Tony Miola had, had took a little bit of an issue during the broadcast for the Philadelphia first goal, which was off a penalty kick. On a handball by Francisco Calvo. Right. And the problem, he said, oh, his hand was tight. It was because the ball hit it. That's what caused his hand to fly. If his hand was tight up against his body, it does not fly out like that. It was out enough where it made him bigger. It hit his hand. It's a that's a penalty kick. That, to me, I had no problem with. Where I actually had a problem with was more the reaction from the one guy from the, and I didn't see who it was from the union who went up and was yelling at the referee and the assistant while, before they're getting the penalty, you could still get the penalty. And that guy should have been cautioned at the same time for just for dissent. I mean, unsporting behavior, yeah, whatever it, that it was ridiculous. The temper tantrum he was throwing. I expect that out of my two year old. I don't expect this out of a grown man over a penalty kick. The, the other problem. And, and we asked, uh, I think Brian Sandalow asked wiki about this tonight is that um, he, in this decision, you could argue it's the right one, right? It was. But we saw a very similar call go against the fire last week when a, when the, the Red Bulls player had a handball that wasn't called. The problem and, and is the is the lack of consistency in this area. Correct. And we it, need to know what what it needs to be called more uniformly. And this is a this is obviously a FIFA level issue, probably, honestly, with, with the way things it's, are being it's called. A, it's a US, it's a USSF. It's a pro referees. They need, do need to be more consistent. Yeah, but I'm you're not seeing argue, this, I'm not seeing this argue other that. parts of the world, too, the inconsistency in the sure. handball calls. We need to know what a handball is and what a handball isn't. And I guess with the problem with that, though, is then you end up like England where everything's a handball. So um, but then it, maybe but that's you know what, what you want. But, that's, but to be said, and we've talked about, again, this is something that has come up on the pod before. Players will adjust. You watch them in England, their hands are behind their back when they're defending yeah. now on a cross because they know that's a potential. And if their hands are behind their back or close to it and it hits them, that's not going to get called. It's when it's out and it makes you bigger, it's going to be called every time. In this case, Calvo's arm was out. And you're right. It hasn't been called consistently. It seems like on this, this fire been on the short end multiple times this season. I, I think the Orlando game's another example of it. But these are things... That he, he that he shouldn't have done. He needs he needs to be better about. Calvo should be better. He knows better than that. His arm is out. I don't remember him being overly demonstrative, which he can be at times. I think he kind of knew it was too. So I know he protests because he he protested because he always does. However, I didn't see like a full the you know full meltdown. Like like I said, the Philadelphia player who was all over everybody till he got the till he got the penalty kick. So, twenty six minutes in, the fire go down one nil. It seemed like at that point that that the game had turned a little bit. Philadelphia was definitely on the front foot. Until, until that point, the fire were the better team. Correct, absolutely. The the it, Philadelphia had started getting in the game. They get the penalty kick. They get the goal. They're on the front foot. 
And then for the next 10 or 15 minutes, they really were till we get to the 36th minute. I believe Calvo has an intercepts the ball. He's going down the left side. He gets into um, Alejandro Bedoya gets in to takes takes it away from him. Calvo steps on the back of Cal on Bedoya's on Bedoya's heel. Bedoya dies on the field, or it looked like he was going to. Calvo gets a red card, and again, everybody loses their mind, including on the broadcast saying. It should have been a yellow. Why did they not go to VAR? And I'm going to I'm going to tell you simply simply put, Calvo got a red card for violent conduct. You step on the back of somebody's ankle like that, it is violent conduct. It's no different than a slide tackle from behind. There is nothing good coming from behind. When you are behind a player and you make contact, nothing good is going to come from it. You are looking at if you don't get the ball clean, you are looking yellow and red in the face. Okay. And I and one of the things I saw tonight that was said was. He was he was looking at the ball. He didn't mean it. Does intent matter here? No. Violent conduct is violent conduct, and I don't buy that either. And I and I will tell you why. You watch somebody who doesn't mean to step on somebody; their reaction is different. He didn't slow down. He was pissed. He had the ball. He was dispossessed by Bedoya, and he was going through him. His head might have popped up at the end. This is a professional who knows what he's doing. He's done this once or twice in terms of contact. I don't think it was accidental. I don't think he intended to hit the back of his foot as hard as he did. I don't think he realized that Bedoya was going to die on the field from it and come be miraculously healed afterwards. But it's violent conduct. A stomp on the back of the ankle at any point should be a red card, and it almost always is. So Unless I will you... tell you that – I will tell you that – I was positive it was not a red initially when I saw it. And when I saw it, you know, played back a couple of times on the broadcast. Mm -hmm. But as we sat here before recording tonight, where I went on the MLS site and just played it frame by frame, like the Zapruder film, like a thousand times over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And then I listened to you bitching about it. You have started to convince me that it was an intentional thing and it was a red. And, and I've, and um, I've, and I, I asked you two questions with this because I do think it's important to kind of put it in reference. We've talked about on this show before. It, your son is a wonderful youth soccer player. And you said this happens to him every oh, once in a while. And when you're a parent and you're watching this game, how do you think this should be? it should be a judge? You think it should be a red card? Because even these kids, even a kid who's clumsy about it can hurt somebody. Yeah. It, and, that's the, it, and that's the violent conduct piece of it. Hitting somebody from behind leads to serious injury because you cannot defend yourself. You don't see it coming very often. And that's where the injuries can happen. And that's why it's any the slide tackles from behind get judged harsher than ones from the front. Well, studs coming, you know, it, it's because you can't see it. That's where the weird injuries can happen. It's a red card, in my opinion. And I, there was a lot of question on Twitter. Miola said it. Why did they not go to VAR? He was talking to the, he was his and you said it as we were going through the Zapruder film analysis of it. The referee's angle was good. He had it. He if you do look at the he was He's, looking right at it closely. And where it's so, positioned and where it's positioned on that yeah. sideline, there's an assistant that's trailing the play that probably has a pretty good view of it as well. And finally, every game there is somebody who is looking at this video. They go to VAR when they want the – because in, the final decision comes from the referee except for offsides typically. When they go to the VAR, when they go to VAR, more times than not, they're going to reverse whatever's been called. More times than not because you already have a referee looking at the foul. Yeah, so obviously the, the, the video review ref, the VAR mm – -hmm. um, yep. It, whatever they were looking for, it was fine. It was yeah, – yeah, it's so a red. It, it, the only issue, I guess – this, the guy in the center can go look at it anyway. He's not, and, but they're typically they, unless, to, unless they're told time. unless right. they're told they're unless they're told you need to go look at this. You might have this wrong. You've got, and I don't even think the word "might" is. I think I my speculation is the referee conversation is you need to look at this, and then they go look yeah. at it. And it's so kinda, it's 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 kind of like it's baseballish in that sense, like. 
baseball, if you watch a replay, if they're going to replay nine times out of ten, they've already, somebody's looked at it and already determined it's going it should be overturned or it's going to be darn close. This somebody's is a whole already, other issue, but do we need somebody, to get to the point where a coach can force a ref to go look at a replay, like in the NFL? Is, should, like should we have a challenge I, system? Or is this possibly. the better system? Well, here's the here's the thing though. What what of consequence do you take away a sub? What I mean, you got to look at. There's got to be some consequence that you're not because you you know you put that in there. Do you add double the stoppage time because of it? Because I mean, you think of somebody like Jose Mourinho who will find the most inopportune time to do it just to kill the game off. Yeah. So it's my, the, my initial it's, it's, a, it's an interesting. It's an interesting off-season question. I feel like we should address at some point because why not? But what's that? I, I, I'm hearing that the uh, MLS season may not start right in March. It won't. This, next no. year they're going to push it. So um, sure. we're going to need oh, okay. lots of topics, and that can be one for that. But Absolutely. yeah, I, I think I think my 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 feeling on the red card at the time, which was sort of swayed by Tyler and Tony and and the quick replay that I saw was what the hell that's not a red um when you watch it a few times and that was and i was kind of in that same boat i'm like yeah maybe he should have taken another look and then at halftime i went back specifically and watched it and i'm like nah that's a red card and i I, the other part i always look at with it is if he didn't mean to step on it and it was incidental he would have reacted a lot different he didn't stop he didn't slow down he kept going and it's you know you got to take into consideration that it's bedoya too who seems like he'd be a Real pain in the ass to play against all the time. I will tell you what Wiki said about it. Okay. He said, and I quote, the red card, I can't say. I have to watch the pictures. One thing I can say, and I'm not going to do the Swiss accent here, uh, it wasn't a nasty game. It wasn't a game where there was lots of nasty hard fouls and suddenly you have a red card. Francisco is a player who never, never tries to hurt anyone. Never tries intentionally to make a foul or anything. That's what I can say. I haven't seen the images. People told me it's not a red card, but that's all I can say. And it's funny is um, those from Minnesota who watch Calvo and have disdain for him watch it. And they all thought it was a red card, which, of course, you know, it's, it's the blinders. Calvo, I thought, has had a, had a really He's had a couple of real stinkers, but he's had a pretty good season for the most part. He's been a bright spot for me, especially somebody who's been very anti-Calvo. This was not one of his better moments. I think he knows better than that. And I think he, and as a professional who's played for the Costa Rican national team, has played against Alejandro Bedoya with the U.S. national team, I'm guessing. I'd have to go back and look at specifics, but he knows that contact Bedoya is going to make a meal out of it. Bedoya did. I don't think it influenced the referee. I think the referee was close enough. He saw the contact, and that was enough for him. I don't think yeah. all the rolling around and dying by Alejandro Bedoya affected anything. It probably didn't hurt any. So, it's, anyway. Uh, you know, I, I feel like one of my – I was kind of swayed by the fact that Guido Gonzalez is a shitty ref from what I've seen. And yes. he's kind of the Joe West of MLS. Okay. And uh, it, it – he just kind of feels like a guy who, you know, makes the wrong decision more often than not. And so, yeah, it's, it, you know what? I, I don't know. Like it's, I don't know that I still don't know that it deserved to be a red card. It's yes. It, yes. It's a card. You can convince me that maybe it was intentional, even though he was looking at the ball, but I, I <sighs> again, it's where, where the contact was made on the back yeah. of the ankle being defenseless. That makes it violent almost essentially. Like I said, it's like a slide tackle from behind, in my opinion. It doesn't matter. You can't. You, it is violent in itself because it's an, you. It's defenseless. It's hitting the defenseless receiver, for lack of a better term. It it should be punished harshly because you don't want that to become the norm where people start stepping on looking. Well, I can. I'll get a yellow card for it, but it'll stop somebody. But it's going to really injure people because of the nature of the foul. Anything from behind gets hard. From a referee's perspective, is judged harsher for that reason. Yeah. So, well, the segue to a good point. Uh, the fire responded well after going. Back correct. It seemed like again it was like another minute or two after they got they're still on that back foot, and then they started getting they got going again, and 
It paid off. It was a goal in the 42nd minute by Robert Barich. Um, who is now third in MLS. Which we goals. talked about Which we talked about as we were getting ready to record. We, we said, and I, you go back in the archives and we, we could probably find which one it was. said, if he gets, when he got his first goal, I want to say it was absolute garbage. But we're like, this could yeah, be the start There was a penalty and a garbage goal that got him after he had the seven match streak where he didn't score. And after that, and he, he got is, benched in that time, he, and he's been. He's I have good. actually. Um, let me uh, pull something up here. You just keep talking. Yeah, Opta Jack. Robert Barrett has scored eight goals since the beginning of September, two more than any other MLS player in that time. And he's and, and he 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 as well has had chances. I'm sure he would like back, and then the Red Bull game stands out to me as he had chances he missed that I'm sure he'd like back. And I yeah, the shitty some, penalty too, yeah. Yeah, the, that's right. That was the that was the brutal penalty, and it was. What game was that? KC, well, KC, it was KC. Kansas City game. Yeah, but the Red Bull game, he had a couple chances he should have had. And but my point being is, he's for again. We, we talked about this when he was struggling. For a designated player that's a forward, you expect him to score goals. He has been doing that, and huh? that's and that's what you need from him. And it, but he the whole night was finding the again. It's back to that: is he finding spots to make himself dangerous? Is he getting chances? And he was. Um, he was the WGNs. He was their man of the match. When we get to our player our player uh, ranking ratings, he's my man of the match. He absolutely he's one of them. I, I, I don't have any argument with him being man of the match tonight. He was very good. He kept getting into dangerous positions. And so that said, yeah, he was good. He was good tonight. Um, so getting to halftime one-to-one, which you're a little surprised. Hey, this is the, this is the league leaders. They're playing them. They're playing them straight up. I believe the possession was about 50-50 at that point. And I know early on Ruben had a stat like it was like 60-30 or something, or, you know, 60-40 or it was – 70 30 i mean like the fire possessed a lot early yeah and they ended up philly won the possession battle 53 46 yeah which is crazy good for a team that went down to 10 men for most of the game for almost for almost an hour they were yeah for actually for over an hour if you had the stoppage time they were down a man and yeah they were and at this point i want to step in and say okay so they take the red card and typically what you'll see happen especially if it's a defender like that you'll see a substitution where they bring on another center back. Wiki didn't do that tonight, and I was impressed with the with the changes he made, that he took Jimenez, dropped Jimenez into a center back role. He had um, he had Madron basically running, becoming an eight as opposed to a, you know, as or being a full eight and playing the eight and the six by himself. And then Mahalovic right. being a 10 and an eight. Like Mahalovic came back right. a little bit more. They filled that center of the park, and you never felt like they were being overrun through that, which is where the gap was, which allowed them to keep Barrich up top and still have chances. They're still fresh out on the wings. They took basically three in the center, made it two, and they did fairly well, all things considering, with that. I thought that was really, really good coaching on the part of Rafael Wicke, and it kept them in the game. And second half, you'll have to correct me on this, I felt like... They were starting to fall apart a little. They had that lull that they seem to always have about the 65th minute, give or take, or 60th minute. They get to about the hour, hour mark, and they start to fall apart for about 15 minutes, and the last 15 minutes are usually good. And in the 65th minute, Philadelphia went ahead for good um, on, a, on a goal by Corey Burke. You and I watched this five or six times over. Yeah, to a say lot the, of to to say the defending was good would be an absolute lie. It'd be garb. It was absolutely the defending was poor. This is one of those when they go back and watch the film, they're going to look at it and go, "Oh shit." Yeah, yeah. This is the. <sighs> you could sit there and go, "What's he thinking? What's he thinking? Who's he marking? Who's he marking?" And it's it's not apparent for a lot of it. What what they're, I think they kind of let their brains switch off for a moment and they got punished. Yeah. Yeah. So Philadelphia goes up two one and then it was what, what point of the game was it was, um, six was it 68. 
So 72nd minute, Wiki throws the dice, brings on Navarro, brings on Collier, brings on Herbers. It seemed to put some life into the game for him, honestly. And we looked at the, we looked at the stats. They didn't do Navarro had a nice night. Collier and Herbers didn't do a whole heck of a lot, but it seemed to be energy. It brought him back going, got him going again. Uh-huh. And again, I was actually kind of surprised that Wiki didn't start Herbers, considering it was Philly. And I don't, think, would... I don't think he cares about that. I, again, when you look at the lineup that they put out there, who would you put Herbers out there in, in favor of? Frankowski. Why? I mean, if you're looking to play a counterattack game, which you really are against Philadelphia, because you know they're they're ah, true, yeah. You want Frankowski's speed. Frankowski was not a well. The second goal, we could we we have an argument on Frankowski. Uh, well, and let's ta- let's dissect that second goal a little bit because I, I I do want to touch on that, and we're, we'll get it more in the ratings to that point. Philadelphia crosses the ball, back post um, guy, which uh, Corey Burke heads it in. The problem was is Sekulik was stuck between. There was a guy right in front of him, the guy right behind him. He defended the guy in front of him, leaving Corey Burke wide open on the back post with nobody really that close to him. He heads it past Shuttleworth from six yards. That's your that's your winner. Frankowski is stuck out past him, out on the left side, kind of stuck between him and the left and the left wing. In no man's land, because I think he was expecting the cross to go out further, so he left them. However, as anybody will tell you that's watched a game, worn one game, the more di- the more dangerous one is the one you cover. That should have been Burke. So you can make right, the argument exactly. Frankowski should have been there. However, you look at if you watch break this down and you look at it, sit, standing on about the the right side of the six yard box, you have one guest on Jimenez marking absolutely nothing. You get a little cl- further, about three or four yards away, marking absolutely nothing. You have one John Borenstein. Unusual least, for both. Unusual for both yeah. of them. Pineda, and at first my thought was, where, what's Pineda doing? Pineda you was can in see there. See what Pineda does, though. But Pineda yeah. steps out. He stepped out right. towards um, towards Casper Prisbilko, and that was at least he was going to mark somebody. Right. Specifically, Jimenez and Shuttle and uh, Bornstein were marking were defending space. Jimenez had one of those points where he ran back hard, got trapped in a certain area, and had no one to mark. Uh, Bornstein, I guess you could argue, could have slid all the way over to help, especially since Pineda went forward. There may but not it have been like, enough time like for him to get over there. What it looked like it was happening was Bornstein was going to step out to Prisbilko the same as Pineda was. Yes. Saw Pineda was doing it and stopped, and he was yep. just standing there. And it froze him. It, yeah, it, so it did. I don't know what specific instructions they've been given on this sort of thing. I do that know is, that yes. I would prefer in a game, especially in a 10-man game, that Frankowski would have dropped all the way back there. And, but, and, that's a, and that's a fair point that we didn't even discuss in the pre-show when we were looking at this. Right. Like this again, like the Zapruder film. In a 10-man game, you need to defend first. And right. especially when you've drawn level like that. So maybe your argument is right, that, that uh, Frankowski should have been deeper and been on Corey Burke a little tighter than he was instead of and figuring he can, it's easier to run out than it is to run back. And he was kind of stuck at trapped in no man's lap, leaving, like I said, Boris Sekulik to defend two guys. And I, Sekulik, I had no problem with. You mark the one that's more dangerous. The one in the middle of the goal is the one who's more dangerous. Yeah, you know what? It's like, it, was this a complete breakdown? I, I don't know that you can argue that. Like the, the point of soccer is to unbalance the other team and try to create something. And, and Philly did it well. And they did it against a 10-man fire team. I, I think that my overall point, though, was, you know, it, not, you know, who was supposed to be marking whom or whatever. But, but yeah, it, you, you defend first in a 10-man situation, especially sure. when you're tied. So it, it's, yes, Frankie should have been back further. There probably should have been more communication as to who was taking who really quickly like Correct. that. But but in we're talking about split seconds here. So, mm-hmm. um it's, it's it, easy it to un- slow it down and enforce blame, but at speed, I don't know. At Maybe speed, it was just unfortunate. At speed, what, I, what I do recall is at speed, what I noticed was Sekulik was stuck between two guys. So therefore, my first instinct was, look at who was marking nobody. That was what I noticed immediately was 
there's Seculix stuck. Okay, he didn't get back. Why didn't he get back? Okay, wait, there's a guy in front of him. Okay, who should have been helping out? Where were the other guys? Should there have been somebody on the front getting towards the guy in the middle or somebody from behind like Frankowski getting towards towards Corey Burke? And, it, and that was really what, what I started looking at from there. So they go down 2-1. You'd think, hey, that's game over. They're, you know, Philadelphia's going to get a couple more as, as the fire have to open the game up. But it didn't happen. Right. Again, it yeah. seemed to wake the fire up again. And the game became really wide open, which if you're Philadelphia, if you're Jim Curtin, you've almost got to be pissed about that. It's like you're up 2-1 on a 10-man team. You should be possessing, not letting this game get wide open, which is exactly what the fire wanted. There were points where you could barely notice that the fire had ten men. That's how well they correct went forward, and it, like it, they they did not sit back. Like they went forward, they went after it after they went down two one, and it was it was kind of impressive, and and they almost pulled it off. They really, they, you know, they they it, it was uh, Andrew Wooten save off the line off of um it was a free kick I want to say from off of Mahalovic that was crossed back. On the broadcast, they said Pineda got a head on it. I've watched it a couple times. I don't think Pineda ever touched it. I think it was Philadelphia launched, knocked it back across their own goal <laughs> and nearly scored it. Um, Joe Bendick looked lost, and I, I think it's just the hair got in his way, really. Um, that's a terrible – that was a terrible hairstyle. But And Wooten saves it off the line for a corner kick. But, you know, I do want to point something out with the, the last 12 minutes of the game. Carlos Turan made his fire MLS debut tonight. And you said the one video you could find on him as you when they signed him was him launching a throw in, and and I, obviously to a goal from wherever you know was out of Colombia, and it seemed and that's what it seemed like they brought him on to do was take anything from thirty yards in, and just fire it across the middle. Fire it. Yeah, across it's kind of the funny. They, whenever the and fire he's able to do it. <laughs> I, I do one of these. Who is this guy? Pieces. And I always, I tend to go find, like, there's always some, like, highlight video that somebody Mm -hmm. cut to, like, Euro electronic music or something. There was almost nothing on Carlos Tehran except for a Facebook video with the worst special effects you've ever seen of of an explosion happening when he took, like, a 40-yard throw-in. And so I'm like, I remember, like, kind of apologizing. I'm like, guys... All I've got is video of this guy taking a throw in, but you really need to see this video of this guy taking a throw in. And if you haven't seen it, go dig up the old, uh, do a search on hot time for Carlos Tehran. It'd be the first piece I wrote on him. Um, who is Carlos Tehran? I think it's called, uh, the, the, the throw in video is phenomenal. And then yes, one of the first actions he has tonight is a really long throw in. And I, I it made me remember that I put that in the original story. I started laughing. Um, but not just the throw in, but kind of overall, I, I mean, I know he only played, he played about 20 minutes, honestly, cause he had the minutes, eight minutes, minutes of stoppage. Did you, fe- did you feel, did you have a flashback to MLS is drunk with the eight minutes of stoppage time? Yeah, but this was a game that I felt like needed I did. eight minutes of stoppage time. Well, just cause we MLS were chasing is drunk, cause there was, well, yeah, I mean, but MLS is drunk. You had the water, you had the hydration breaks, but it just, it made yeah. me think back to that obscene amount of stoppage. I'm going to have, we haven't seen this since the summer. Yeah. So. Chances had, chances lost. I don't want to say they dropped two, dropped three points, to, and they dropped they they got nothing out of the trip. But I had they gotten a point, I would have been happy tonight. And Do you I kept, want to know what's insane, TJ? I don't even know how long we are into this show. Who cares? We have not discussed the fact that Philly had a positive COVID test. <laughs> True, we have not. Yes. Wiki said tonight that they knew that Philly had a positive COVID test before flying out, that that MLS made them feel safe, that there wasn't a risk, and they went ahead and flew out and played the game. Was this one of those, the the player tested positive, everybody else had two negative tests subsequent to, or everybody else tested negative that same day, and then all had a subsequent negative test the next day or two days later or something? I don't know exactly for sure. I I remember in their statement... um, that might be the case, yeah. I, I, but, but with the incubation period, I mean, I don't know how. I, I know it's longer than a day. Mm-hmm. That for sure. I'm not. I'm not Dr. Fauci here, but I know it's not a day. True. Well, uh, 
it, at least, you know, it's not baseball where players are ordered to leave the stadium after having a positive COVID test in the middle of a game and then they come back and celebrate with their team. But uh, I digress. Um, Fair. But yeah, it, it's... It, this this is a weird game. I, you know, on a draw, we always ask, do you feel the glass is half empty or half full? And I feel like it's a good question. But I feel like coming out of this game, the glass is half full. What I Actually, the one of the things I noticed tonight was... Gaston Jimenez looked refreshed. He did. He did. He had his little, uh, maybe that little... Um, quarantine, or his quarantine period, yes. The airport holdup that forced him to miss the Red Bulls game. Now, you could, argue, you could argue if he's there, they get three points. However, tonight he looked as good as he has in a long time. I mean, he didn't look However, worn down. Kaku would have been there. Kaku would have been there. Right. So there'd be two. There, each team would have had a good player also in that game. I don't know that it would have impacted it either way, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's he looked good tonight. And and I asked him the last question of the news conference. I asked him, I, I said like, what does this do to you guys? Like when you you actually do play well, mm-hmm. you you showed a ton of fight. You almost beat the best team in the league, and then you walk away with nothing. What does this do to you guys mentally for the last three games? He's like, we're positive. The math is in our favor, and we feel like we can go out and get nine points and make the playoffs. Do I feel that? I don't know. But I, I'm, that's, it, and but it's, that's I'm, like, I'm looking at it right now. Saturday at Nashville, Wednesday at Minnesota, and then the following Sunday in the finale, home against NYCFC at Soldier Field. Yeah. It's it's a fair question. I it, up until leading up until this, every time we'd look ahead, we always looked at the Nashville game and said that should be a game. If there's a game, you take three points on the road. Yeah, of when they had that, that was the one yeah. we always looked at because Minnesota was good last year. They're good at MLS's drunk, you know, for the most part. Nashville, you're like this is the game they should win. But Nashville's been playing well lately. And I'm not, but if that same team tonight shows up on Saturday. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I I don't feel like that's a lot. That one point should be the minimum. I feel like it's that the possibility of three is there. Wednesday at Minnesota, I I don't know what to expect there because I know they had. I think they had another COVID case in Minnesota. They did. That game might get killed again. So, and and then it goes down to points per game. Points per game work in their favor because they have one. They've you know it takes one. Le- their points per game if they're tied with somebody if they have one less game they're gonna they're gonna leapfrog them. Which yep. they right now that would put them in the playoffs. However, right now that's not cl- qualified. NYCFC at home, yeah, that should be three points. It really should. I get it. They're 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 fifth. That's a team. You know this this is a better team. It's not Connor Sparrow between the sticks this time. Hopefully. When they play him, they should have Calvo back by then. You hope. It's um. You you will need. There's you also will the fact need that three... NYCF, the NYCFC might not have any potential movement. They might need not need the game at all. Correct. Um, depending on how the standings shake out, so they might like it's finishing um in the top six is important because seven, eight, nine, and 10 have to play um, like a one game play in basically. So, but the, uh, but the, but for NYCFC, the top four does become important because that puts you at, at Yankee stadium for the, for the first round. Exactly. Yeah. So, so they, they will not, they are not going to be ones that are going to sit back and say, we don't care that that matters. So, so unless that's buttoned up, correct. They're going to go for it. Now you had said, um, you you looked at you said well in right now, I'm looking we're and looking at the standings they have the fire sitting on 21 points they're tied with like Inter Miami, and DC United. Um, the fire ahead of DC United because they have each of their equal number of wins. The fire have more points per game. Miami Inter Miami has six wins that puts them right now above that line. Inter Miami's final two games are at Toronto theoretically, but in Hartford, isn't it? Yeah. And then home again, 
in Fort Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale against FC Cincinnati. That really doesn't. Yeah, that's. I mean, now the last couple nights, times out, Toronto has not looked good. So um, this kind of concerns me a little bit, I guess. And you yeah, know, the Fire have a game in hand though. The so. Fire have a game. They have that game against Minnesota. Minnesota has been. Minnesota beat Colorado tonight, but they've been Jekyll and Hyde of late as well. Um, yeah, Toronto tonight lost to NYCFC. So you know what's oh, frustrating is is had the Fire played that game in Minnesota, I think they would have won. They were catching Minnesota at a time where they were without something like seven starters because some of them had COVID. And um, I don't think they had had they dealt for Kai Kamara yet. Shit, I don't remember. I have to figure that out. I, yeah. I, that... <laughs> So yeah, they had. Okay. Which that was um, interesting that he did not play tonight against Colorado because they had an agreement with the trade. Yeah, uh, it, the, the Kai trade was in in mid September, so yes, he was there. Okay. Um, I I don't, and perhaps he was one of the players with COVID, but um, That's possible. Coming from Colorado, he might have been the one spreading it. So perhaps I had heard that. Um, but yeah, it's uh. It would have been. It would have been a time they would have. Um, it would have been a winnable road game, and they would have gotten this this problem, this this whole thing that's this weight on their shoulders off their back with with you know not having one on the road. They're the only team sure. left in MLS without a road win. So, but for being a fire fan, that's just that's just normal at this point. You you kind of get used <laughs> to it. Um, I'm looking at and it, so we looked at Miami. Let's look at DC United. DC United. You said they've been unbeaten since the loss at under you know, unbeaten since. And true, they tied Philadelphia 2-2 at home. But their wins are against, their win tonight against Columbus admittedly is impressive. However, their prior two were against Cincinnati and Atlanta. So not exactly the greatest wins. They, they get to finish up with at New England and then home against Montreal. So Montreal's playing for their playoffs lives as well. I don't believe they are in yet. They are not locked in. So Montreal's got in, no. no. So they're going to be unless they get locked in, they're going to be playing for their their lives as well. So I don't ex- so I don't think DC United has an easy road coming in. I think obviously Miami has easier of the two roads, but like you like you, you know, like Gaston said, like you've pointed out, Fire have a game in hand. They have Wednesday. However, they definitely they, don't have an easy road, but they have a They do not have they have a game in hand. However, that also means come Sunday they're more fatigued than than NYCFC who does not For have sure. a game. So mm-hmm. it works against them, but it's kind of what happens sometimes. So, all right, um, do we? Want yeah, to just... we better knock out some player ratings quickly. We do need to knock out some player ratings. You do, and so let's let's get through this. Um, so these are these are of the opinion of one. If you don't like them, you can put your comments in when I write. If I write this up for Hot Time in Old Town, you can definitely put it to the Minivan Dad Twitter feed at Minivan Dad Pod, um, or you can put it to Hot Time in Old Town, and we'll just probably take it under advisement and move on anyway. So you tonight can we're just, just you know write a letter to yourself and mail it to yourself if you want. That's true. That's true too. So we're going to start with um, one Robert Barrich. Robert Barrich, like I said, was man of the match from um, the WGN crew, and I tend to agree with him. I gave him a seven tonight. He had a goal. He kept getting into dangerous positions. Could it have been higher? Yeah, he had some chances. I'm sure he would like I, – I recall one or two that it's like he could have and should have finished that he didn't. But he did get a goal tonight. He kept them in the game when they were down a man. Like I said, he seemed dangerous most of the night. Maybe fatigued at the end, but even then, he still seemed like he was getting into the positions he should. So I gave him a seven. He's had enough chances this season that if he had finished them, he would be in the conversation for MVP. Right. Like that. He he said like he's the fact that he has ten goals. He's missed a lot of chances. He he, you know, we, he missed a penalty. Like it, or he had it saved. He has seven games without a goal. Like imagine if he had put a few more away. Like he's. Yeah. But yeah, we play that game all the time with the fire. All right, let's let's crank through the rest of these, CJ. All right, Nacho Nacho Alicedo, I gave him a six. Again, I felt like he brought life tonight. It, he didn't look as lost as he had in, in previous games. It seemed like he had a pretty good footprint in the game. Um, so I gave him a six. Like I said, I had a couple of chances as well, generated a couple of good chances. I had no issues with him tonight. 
I, I, six is maybe a little generous, but I think it's fine. Georgie Mihaljevic, I had him at a seven at one point. I dropped him back to a six when I started looking at some of his Opta stats. He had a lot of passes that were missed, but like you pointed out, they're going forward. I felt like he was the one that um, Philadelphia was keyed on, keyed in on stopping. And if if he wasn't getting fouled, he was getting roughed up. It was like they knew they had to stop Georgie Mihaljevic to, to to slow down the fire attack. And maybe that's why I felt like Alisade had more of a footprint because as they took Georgie out of the game, they seemed to gravitate towards Alisade's side of the field. So I gave Georgie a six. I thought he was, like I said, it, for, he he is this is the Georgie Mihaljevic that went to Camp Cupcake and we're like this guy could be really good. We're seeing that again and it's fun to watch. Last week he was ble- he was he was back in the playing in eight form. This week he's up at a 10. He's been out on the left wing. I mean, he has done so many different things for this team. And since he came back into the starting lineup, like you said, he's a guaranteed lock starter and he is. He absolutely is and he, I, I don't are, see how you can not start him the rest of the way like he's Unless he's, he's injured, a, he starts. Yeah. And it's interesting. I know we, I believe, and we're probably one of them that were leading the causing. Hey, maybe it's time for him to go away and go somewhere else. He's, I'm glad they didn't. This is why I don't get paid them. This is why I do this and I don't get paid to make those decisions because I might have run him out of town and I would have been wrong. It, he, whatever it was that him and Wiki needed to figure out, it seems like they figured it out and they're doing well together. So it's great. It's great to see him. Like I said, I gave him a solid six. I think that's fine. All right, Frankie. Frankie, I again, I like. I, I had no problem. This was not bad, Frankie. Tonight, it was not nearly the Frankie that we saw on Saturday night against Red on the weekend against Red Bull. That was almost that was almost dominant in that game, if I recall correctly. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. Okay, I know we didn't do a post game show, but the, before Frankie got the tap in goal. There was a play where he had three consecutive touches that killed a play. Like, like they, they, the fire had a had the ball in the final third, and Frankie killed it three times. Like, I didn't think Frankie was particularly good in the Red Bulls game. I think he just got a goal for me. But what Tonight, I, what I think, I, go ahead. Sorry, I think he was okay. Like, it, it's he. He seems he does seem to be playing with when he was really bad a few weeks ago. He seemed to be playing with no swagger or confidence or even kind of an idea of what he was doing and that seems to be he seems to have more of a footprint on the game more more um of an idea he seems to be fitting in a little bit better so um i thought he was he was okay tonight um and he he, so he got a solid five but to touch back on what i felt what i felt like with the red bull game he was getting in positions finally. He didn't look lost in the in the attack itself. There were times when he was really bad. He was in the wrong spot. He wasn't going where the passes needed to be. He wasn't getting himself into spaces. He wasn't finishing against Red Bull. He had chance at sitters that he missed, and they were frustrating, but he was getting into those positions, and that seemed to carry over into tonight. Yeah. Like his, he seemed to be more of a an integral piece of the attack as opposed to just being a guy out on the field. So... Um, Madron, I felt like he spent a lot of time on the sideline because he kept getting getting knocks. Um, I gave him a five overall. Um, I don't remember anything specific that he, his free kicks are always usually real are really good. He came out early after, like I said, getting the crap beat out of him physically. Um, I will say this: something we learned tonight: <laughs> don't outfit your team in a plain white jersey. If you don't want guys to have to spend time on the sideline with blood or whatever. Sure. Jersey. That, that, that's fair enough. It wasn't his most impactful game, but I think he, I, I heard Miola make a comment early on prior to the red card that him and Jimenez, like you could tell his role with Jimenez, he, like when it was Jimenez, he was, was gone. He was for Madron was forced to be the six and the eight tonight. He was just back in that kind of in that eight role. And he was doing a good job of connecting with Frankie. And then, once they went down and Jimenez faded back, he was kind of doing that six and eight role. He was good. He wasn't. He wasn't as impactful as I've seen him in the past. So that's why he, a five. Fair. He's still very good though. He is. And uh, Gaston Jimenez, welcome back to the par- the Argentine Paraguayan. Is that what we would refer to him as in this case? Is he just Paraguayan now? I, like is that? I I, I was. I'm not really a sure. Conversation with myself about this the other day when I was well, writing a story about him. Because that's the only one who listened to you, really. Fair. 
So uh, I gave him a six. His footprint prior to the game falling apart, like the first 20 minutes of that game, his footprint was all over it. Like that game was him and him and Madron had control of that game in the middle. And it seemed to throw Philadelphia for a loop. It's like, oh, crap, this guy's good. You know, it was it was what I remember him when it, when he was introduced against the revolution that we saw sometimes at Soldier Field. Like when he's on, he's really good and his impact is everywhere. And again, as we talked about earlier, the after the red card with Calvo, he went back and he played center back. And other than the one hiccup, brain fart, hiccup, call it whatever it was when Philadelphia scored their winner he was pretty solid in the back too so i think a six for for gaston i think that's all right all right now we're gonna move to the back line johnny b i think these scores kind of indicate that the fire won the game i will say these, these are like win type scores that you're handing out but i don't think they're wrong no and that's just, and we're, we've got the next couple are going to be a little harsher. I gave Johnny B a four, and I don't remember him having a huge impact. I maybe early on, he, him and Nacho were in, were doing some good combination. I don't recall anything specific. I know on the second goal, we as we talked about earlier, he was standing and marking absolutely nothing. Maybe he was covering Gaston. I, like as we talked about, they both seemed to step. Um, him and Pineda seemed to both step towards um, Prisbilko, and that left. Johnny B just standing in no man's land. So not, I guess. Yeah. I I feel like it's overly harsh on that. I, I, you know, but I, I I still feel like that the marking issue ultimately was more on Frankowski than on on your left back. But um, when the goal came on the right-hand side, but um, I guess that's fair. And, and part of it is with Johnny B is I'm looking at, I'm looking at his passing. Looks like he was a little more, a little more green than red, but not a lot of defending per se. So, you know, it's one of those, he's had, he was, he wasn't great. He wasn't great. He wasn't brutal. So that's why I consider four. Uh, Pineda. I also gave him a four and a lot of it centered on that goal that was given up. And again, it was, he was stepping out towards Prisbil, um, or whatever. And that's seemed to be the right play, but he was the one initially I'm going, he should be somewhere in that middle when Secula got stuck between two guys. Not a lot of touches tonight for Pineda, which is unusual. So not a lot of defending. I'm looking at his Opta numbers, and nothing really stands out that he did specific that was great. So better nights for the rookie, and maybe it was he was really stuck defending the whole time um, once the red card from Calvo happened. I don't know. Did you know that he is the Fires leader in minutes played this season? You know what? I saw that on Hot Time in Old Town that you had made that you had that in your write up. So I did know that, believe it or not. So it makes it's one of those things that yeah, if you think about it, it, makes sense. But it's still crazy that a homegrown rookie is your leader. Well, and, and to go a step further, a homegrown rookie that you expect to have a larger footprint on the game, and when he play and when. Tonight was probably more of a homegrown rookie type of night for him. But when you have such high expectations for him, that's not a bad thing. I we forget home. that he is a homegrown rookie sometimes. Sure. All right. I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna finish up and we're gonna do Calvo last because <laughs> I feel like there's the discussion to be. Now nah, we'll do Calvo next, because we, we do go through the back line and Calvo originally I had him marked as a zero, even though we do a one to ten, I had Calvo at a zero. Then I started looking at Calvo early in the game, and he was having a really good night prior to the red, the penalty kick and prior to the red card. However, when he comes down to it at the end of the night, you're the captain, and you cost your team a goal, and you cost your team a, a man with a red card that you don't think it was foolish. I still, I, the more I've watched it, the more I think it was foolish. So at the end, I almost gave him a three, but I'm going to leave him at a two because he really did cost his team by leaving him a man down for 60 minutes. So, Are we blaming him for the handball? Or are we saying it was just bad luck? I'm somewhere in between. I, like we talked about with like the English, 
they put their hands behind their back. And I've seen Calvo do that as well. His arm was out a little bit. I don't know if that was just, it was a reaction thing. Like he didn't get a time to set himself. I'm not sure. I think bad, bad luck is probably it as much as anything. But it still hit his hand and it still was a penalty kick. I mean, you can't sit there and go, well, the one nothing just kind of happened. It, there, it hit his hand. So maybe... So maybe that's judging that a little harsh, but again, he put his team down a man for 60 minutes when he yeah, was having it, when he when he was having a pretty good night. If you go back and again, as we looked at his Opta numbers, five defense, you know, clearances, recoveries, and he was doing it all in the back, and then he and then he takes himself out of the game in Calvo fashion. So I guess the Minnesota United fans are happy. I hope it's only the one game suspension. However, if it's two, he misses the game against he misses the game at Minnesota, which yeah. will make the Calvo Cup really depressing. But I don't know. What what's your thoughts on, on Calvo? I mean, like I said, he was it's having a really good night. tough. Like it's it's you know, if you watch him if you watch the, the plays back sixty times, you can convince yourself that it was a dirty play. I, I'm still not convinced it is. You've told me that, you know, intent shouldn't matter. It's his spikes went down on the back of, of Bedoya's Achilles. And that's all that matters, which I, I, I suppose is true. I, I think ultimately, yeah, it's his, his score has to be the worst on the team. He's, he was responsible for the two, worst moments of the game, I guess, for, for the, the two fire. Of the three, so two thirds of them. Yeah. Two of the three. Yeah. Um, and you could argue he's, resp- you could argue he's responsible for the third by his absence on the field. I, I, you know, yes. you know, full well, guest, guest down Jimenez is not a center back. Pineda is still a homegrown rookie, having him organize the back. And we saw it when Olmsberg was back there. They were not nearly as organized as they are when Calvo's on the field. He, it, it's the ultimate Calvo kind of question, right? Like he, or the ultimate Calvo game. He, he's, he's very good until he makes a mistake. Until he goes Calvo, yeah. It, it's so I, I don't know. Like I, I'm still not 100 percent convinced it's a red, but, um, but yeah, I, I don't think Calvo deserves a good score tonight. So, I, like I said, I gave him a two. I could probably be talked into a three, but yeah, he's got to be the lowest on the team for that, but. I think this is one, hopefully he'll grow from it and he'll come back and be better. Um, Boris Sekulik, I gave him a five. I wasn't really sure what to do with him. Like he was high. the one stuff. Uh-huh. You think that was high like for him? five is high. Okay. You think he should be a four as well? Yeah. Right, I can be- okay. I, he got stuck in a bad place on the goal. I, I think he defended it right. You go towards the guy who's the most dangerous, and that's the guy standing right in the center of the goal. However, that left the back post open. That left um, the back post open. So Burke, and that's where they got their goal. I'm looking at his passing numbers. Pretty fair. I mean, he was decent, but not a lot of not a lot of defensive. Not tackles. Defend. You know, I don't see a lot there. So yeah, maybe a four might be more fair. Um, last starter tonight, Bobby Shuttleworth. We texted Good. back and we texted back and forth about him during the game and had they won tonight, this would have been one of those where I give it a 10. He, his saves stopped goals. He stopped great opportunity. Like he had saves that were, you're like, how did he save a goal there? And there was more than one. And yeah, well, he five saves, but I mean, they were, you can have a save and it's pedestrian. These were not not pedestrian saves all the time. And so he was really good tonight. Um, I gave him a seven. This is one if they had gotten a tie, it would have been in the eight and nine range because he's the reason why they would have stolen points. And had they won the game, he would have had to. Yeah, it would have been him. Nothing he could do on either goal. We talked about that um, before. We yeah, so I, kicks, I have a question kick. of, mm-hmm. of should he have been able to stop? Because the header hit the ground right in front of him and then popped up over his head. Um, I was not a goalkeeper. Uh, to the level that you were a goalkeeper. So uh, my question was, how how does he not save that? 
And because you said that's actually one of the trickiest balls that, that there can Because be. it's coming down. When it hits the ground, it can skid low. Off the grass, it can, it can stay down and skid. It can pop up like that one did. And realistically, from that close, you've got a split second. He can be he can be trying most headers you don't head down you head towards think about how many headers are headed in the ground not many they're usually going top shelf so you're expecting that and to see this one come down makes it and it's think about being you you were a basketball player right yeah what was the harder pass to stop the bounce pass low or the pass through the air pass through the air was easier to reach because you got your arm out and reach it you didn't have to get down yeah same concept think of it that way yeah um nothing i I, I saw where you're going with it. And I looked at him like, nah, <laughs> that's those are really hard anyway. So no, I had no problem with the way Bobby played tonight. Like I said, he kept him in that game as as much as they all did. He was really good tonight, so I gave him a seven. Um, There's the sl- no way that Kronholm gets his job back, is there? No, there there is zero. There is that that and that's a good question, honestly. There's zero chance, in my opinion. Um, I like Ken Kronholm. Although he really didn't do he's like, he's a I think great I dude. I'll tell you that he's a really I, fun guy. To and talk I to. think that's why I like him is because you, yeah, what you said. And he seemed like he was, he cared about, he liked being with the fire. There's no chance. I think Bobby Shuttleworth is going to be your number one next year. I think between Gaga and Brady, those are your two. Brady, your two. Brady almost won the USL Golden Glove. The USL won Golden Glove. Yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> He, he, if he had not given up the one goal in the last game, and he had some phenomenal stops in that last game for Madison. If he had not given up that one goal, he would have been the Golden Glove winner for and, USL League. And based on your reporting, he went to Madison because they thought Gaga was further along. So you have two 16-year-olds that are coming along. Yeah, I guess, which is the question. Um, I, I don't know that I, I reported that so much. as it, It's... Maybe I guess impression. I I know we've talked about that more than once. But like this is, and I'm actually going to do a story on this soon. Is is who had the better experience? Is it the guy who got you know seven games or eight games as a starter in in USL League One at 16 years old, or is it is it the guy who stayed back with the first team and has probably better training sessions and that sort of thing? And I, I think it's Brady. Honestly, I, I I think you you always take playing over not playing. So. Um, but yeah, really interesting. There's, there's two 16 year olds. They're not going to keep both of them. Um, one of them's going to go maybe, back to Madison next year and maybe next year it's Gaga that gets to go to, down to Madison. If Madison's even the affiliate next year. Yes. Is it only one is only this season? I guess, I guess in a COVID world, nobody knows what's going to happen next year. When it was announced, it was announced as the affiliate for 2020. So we will find out. Okay. Fair enough. I think Madison would be a nice continuation. I would, at least I hope so. And it might just be because I like Madison. So yeah, me too. I I feel like it's a good deal. So hopefully it stays. All right. To wrap up the ratings, Herbers was Herbers and Collier were just dudes out there. They, they brought energy. I gave him fives. Navarro was better. seemed like he did a lot getting forward, especially when they needed him to coming out of the back. I gave him a six and Tehran for his 12 minutes and his monster throwings. I gave him a six as well. Um, I'm, 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 my speculation is he's probably, I wonder if he's going to step into the starting. And this is a question. Calvo's out Sunday on on the weekend on Saturday night. Yeah. You bring Tehran in. Do you slide Johnny B over? Because Olmsberg Olmsberg didn't dress tonight because he's injured. Yeah, what? I think it's it's. I think Johnny B sliding or I, I could see it being Tehran honestly. Or just although Gaston? I will tell you that Tehran is a right side oriented player. He plays center back and right back. So just step in for Calvo on the left may not be, I don't know how comfortable he is playing that direction. Sure. Um, but the coaching staff would obviously know that better than me. So I guess, or, or does do you see possibly Gaston in the back four again? I don't think <sighs> so. I can't say. I don't think that. so. I hope not. I, th- I think he's, I think you have to find a way to get him forward. Hopefully Olmsberg is healthy. They are pretty thin, though. Like it's it's or or you shift Johnny B over and get him to get a veteran to do a job for you and put Navarro alongside him. And then you have Andre Reynolds to spot either one of you know at that point. So and you still have yeah. Teron who can come in and play in the back as well. So yeah, I, my guess is I think you're going to be right. Johnny B is going to slide over. He'll have the captain's band on. 
and then um, and then from there, or Will Jimenez? Uh, good question. I, Johnny B wore it. Johnny B wore it, and then when he when, went out for Navarro, then Jimenez yeah. wore it after that. So it'll be Johnny B, and then um, I think you're. I think that's ultimately going to be right. Johnny B will slide over, and Navarro will come back in because you now you've got at least people who have started most of the year. So. Saturday is important, though. That's <laughs> for darn sure. You know what it is? So, it's El Daxico. It's finally here. It's El Daxico. It's finally, it's finally here after Nashville decided they didn't want to go play in Orlando and MLS is drunk. So, yeah. I don't know. So, anyway, two to one loss. This is Mini Van Dad Soccer Pod. We're, we're on. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud. Give us five stars or give us you know ratings or feedback or whatever. You know, it's the only things we can do. So um, we do. We, po- we don't deserve five stars. Let's be honest. No, we really don't. But it'll get, it'll put, make it more interesting for everybody else. So um, we do we do Chicago Fire post game for now. Seeing we've had a whole ton of games, we'll get back into doing some our usual stuff once the season ends because we've got we'll be back Saturday night. Hopefully, we'll be back Wednesday. Sat you know following Sunday to wrap up the season. I'm sure we'll do a couple of post games. It's part of being Chicago guys. We can do those kind of things. So, Pat, um, definitely check out Pat's post game tonight and anything else he does at Hot Time in Old Town. It was great, and we will. Yeah, put, I, have to write I, I am going to put that. I did you get that clip up on on Twitter yet of you being talked about on on the air tonight or now? I, I didn't, but yeah. Okay. Tyler, so by the time you're listening to this, this cool. by the time you're listening to this, this clip will be. If I don't drop it into the podcast somewhere, and I probably I'll try to do that as well. It'll definitely be a link on the Mini Van Dad Soccer Pod, Pod Twitter feed where Pat gets mentioned by Tyler Terrence, which is, as a writer, it's got that, 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 you were so happy about that. I, that's and it is. It's really cool. It's pretty it, funny. Yeah. It's it's. I mean, it's like on one hand, like I know Tyler, so it's not like it's a huge surprise that he would say my name. On the other hand, like to have been a fan of this club for so long and just have my name thrown out on the on the broadcast, that was actually pretty sweet. So appreciate now, it, Tyler. And it is cool. Um, and he was talking about your your story about Fabian Herbers. And has Fabi scored since you did your article? I don't I, want to like, talk about it. All right. <laughs> and at that note, we're going to put this game behind us, and we'll look forward to Saturday night. So, Mini Van Dad Soccer Pod. I, I, at Mini Van Dad Pod. Pat's at Patrick McCraney or Hot Time Old Town. Um, I'm at TJ Zaremba. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I'm sure we will do this again soon. We'll do this again on Saturday, hopefully. And on that note, Halloween, uh, Halloween, spooky. Halloween Saturday night. Yeah, It'll you're done. Spooky edition. The spooky edition. Hopefully, it's not a nightmare edition. We'll leave it at that. And for the last time, you're done.